Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My name is Preston Sprinkle, and my guest for today's show is Lindsay Snyder. Lindsay Snyder works for Equip Ministries. Uh, she is the content creator and donor relations officer. Um, she uh, she has a degree from Taylor University. She graduated in 2014 with a BA in film and media production. She's currently working towards a master's in social work, and her goal is to become a counselor and journey with others like her who are navigating the tension between their Christian faith and sexuality. I came across Lindsay's work uh, because she wrote a series of blogs for Equip Ministries. Um, so equipyourcommunity.org is the uh, website or the URL you can go to to uh, find this blog series. And I'm, I'm friends with Peter Volk, who was on the show recently, uh, who runs Equip. And uh, Lindsay wrote a series of blogs on female sexuality for Equip Ministries. And they were so good. They were so incredibly good. Um, there's like four or five blogs that she has over the last year. And it talks about the, the uniqueness, the complexity um, of female sexuality, both from her own lived experience as somebody who is attracted to the same sex, and also uh, from the perspective of somebody who's really smart and well-read and has done a lot of research on this topic as well. And that's the, the focus of our time together is talking about the uniqueness, the complexity, and the beauty uh, of female uh, sexuality. And we do get into a topic that I've been wanting to talk about on this show for a while, um, and yet it's a topic that, for various reasons, uh, I feel a little nervous just kind of waxing eloquent from my own straight maleness, and that is uh, the topic of the rise in teenage females identifying not as lesbian, um, but as bisexual or pansexual. And uh, we, we get into that probably the latter half of the show, talk about um, why younger females are more likely to identify as bisexual than, than lesbian or even sometimes straight. I mean, I feel like sometimes the bisexual identity is almost more common than a, than a straight identity um, among some uh, context uh, among teenage females. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. Become part of the Theology in the Raw community and uh, get access to premium content and other goodies that come along with it. Also, uh, this is both a YouTube and a audio podcast. So if you're watching on YouTube, hi, you can see my absolutely hideous uh, monstrosity of a basement that I record in. If you're uh, listening just on the, the podcast and you think I'm in this nice studio with, you know, kombucha on tap and a finished ceiling. <laughs> but those of you who are watching see um, a bunch of unfinished rafters. And what are, are those clothespins? I, I don't know. I'm hanging laundry in here, apparently. I don't know. Why I have. Oh, I do know why there's clothespins there. That's a whole nother story. Um, but if you want to watch this conversation, you can go to my YouTube channel at Press and Sprinkle. If you're watching, you can go to my podcast at Theology in the Raw. If you don't want to or can't support the show, please do leave a review uh, reviews do help uh, alert people to this show. It brings awareness to the show. And please consider sharing this episode or other episodes that you have appreciated on your social media accounts. <gasps> okay, let's have a very fascinating and interesting conversation about female sexuality with Lindsay Snyder. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. Uh, my name is Preston. I'm here with a, a I mean, I, I, I almost said friend, but we, we've, we've been looking at each other uh, for about two minutes, and that's the extent of our face-to-face-ish uh, relationship. But I've known about Lindsay for, <laughs> I've known about Lindsay for uh, at least over a year, uh, and we almost spoke at an event. Well, you, we almost did an event together that got canceled so due to COVID. Anyway, Lindsay, so good to have you on Theology in the Raw. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and just share my story and some of my experiences. Cool. Why, why don't we start there? Why don't, why don't you just give, uh, I, I, most people probably haven't heard of uh, your name unless we're getting some no, people over not? from <laughs> you know, your ministry. But um, yeah, tell us right. your story and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, always interesting to figure out where to start and how to condense things. But um, there's always, or you often hear... <clears throat> 
I always felt a little different and that is the same for me um, <laughs> growing up and didn't know what it was, uh, thought all of um, my friends were just boy crazy and I was the normal one, of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I remember like going to sleepovers and uh, friends would be like, oh yeah, I'm looking for this quality in in a guy when I get married and this this quality. And I really am attracted to uh, guys' eyes or whatever, whatever. And <laughs> um, I would be like, they'd be like, um, and what about you? Like, what what qualities are you looking for? And I'd be like, eh, um, all the things you just said. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. So I was very confused um, <laughs> growing up. Uh, I found. At 14, around 14, I was attracted to a girl in my youth group, um, and that was super confusing. I had not heard pretty much anything about sexuality. I had no education around that topic, whether from my parents or my church, really. And so everything was foreign to me. I was very naive um, and very scared. So I actually told my parents... Um, surprisingly, like right at first. And they were like, oh, it's just a phase. Um, they meant well, of course. <laughs> I don't want to throw my parents under the bus. Um, but uh, yeah, they just were like, oh, it's probably just another of your worries, your anxieties, paranoia. It'll be fine. So I took that on um, and really latched onto that for the next 10 years. Um, and I Honestly, looking back, don't know how I suppressed it for that long. <laughs> um, Lindsay, really quick, can you give us your? Do you mind giving us your age, just so we have kind of a general time yeah, frame yeah. context? Yeah. Yeah, so, I'm 28. 28. So, okay. So 10. So when I was 14 was when I first really noticed okay. uh, attraction to girls, um, and then 10 years later, I kind of came out to myself. Okay. Finally. <laughs> um, but yeah, going through high school, college, I like things would, attractions would come up, of course, but I would be like, nope, that's gonna go right in that little box that I have in my head and I'm never gonna look at it and hope it'll just go away eventually. Um, yeah, they're just fear and shame, of course, is just, mm -hmm. they're powerful motivators, not good ones, but they're powerful. Um, so I think that's how it was just suppressed for so long. And you were raised in a Christian home or like in the church? I was, okay. yes, yes. Um, I grew up with, my parents actually started the church that I like grew up in or helped start. Okay. Um, so it almost felt like I was a pastor's kid. Yeah. Um, in Nashville or? In East Tennessee, Morristown. I don't know if you've heard of that. I was just Very in. Very small town. I was just in uh, Chattanooga, Chattanooga, Cleveland, Tennessee. Is that close? Okay. That's kind of well, that's more uh, South Tennessee, I guess. Yeah, not quite there, okay. but near Knoxville. Okay. Okay. Cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So you but, came out at uh, so that you were 24 when you came out to yourself, even though you had these desires, you're wrestling with stuff. Did, did you ever like date guys or date girls during that time, or were you a non-dater for 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was very strange. Um, I I would kind of take on around my friends this uh, this persona of being like the awkward one um, around anything to do with sexuality or dating or anything. Um, I just kind of found a place for myself in be. Uh, this is going to sound weird, but like being laughed at, <laughs> like. Um, yeah, but of course, sometimes that would go like too far and I would be like, ouch, that hurt. <laughs> um, but I didn't know why exactly. Uh, but yeah, I didn't end up dating. Oh, I went on one date. Sorry. I went on one date with a guy in college. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was like, no, no. Um, <laughs> but there was like a desire to date, but it was it was almost like by suppressing my attraction to women, mm -hmm. I was suppressing my sexuality entirely. I, I just mm -hmm. didn't want to look at it at all. Okay. 
And did you, um, so if you could reflect back on those, I guess the 10 years from 14 to 24, Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to go like all Kinsey scale or whatever, but you would say you were not at all attracted to guys, totally hundred percent girls, or was there a little bit of in-betweenness or maybe overlap at all or? Yeah, I think in college I did experience some attraction to guys, um, which was, I guess, a relief to me. Um, It felt like, oh, maybe I'm getting to be more normal. Um, But then when I when I finally came out to myself, uh, it was like, I'm sure you've heard of like it just feels like you're going through puberty all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, for like, I had I had suppressed that part of me for so long that it just felt uh, like everything exploded, and I was attracted to like every woman, not really every woman, but <laughs> yeah. it was very intense and very um, kind of overwhelming, and my attraction really shifted towards mostly women until I started dating a guy later on um, when I was 26. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what's the last, uh, so the last four years from the time you came out 24 to now you're 28. Uh, what's, yeah. what are those four years? And then wrestling with your, I'm sure oh, your, your faith and what does this mean for my life and future and my walk yeah. with Jesus and all that. So what do those four years look like? Those were, or the first couple of years especially, um, were very tumultuous. Um, I couldn't, I didn't really know how to express my emotions at all regarding my attractions, but the only way I could think of was to write. And so I, I wrote a story. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Inside Out. No. Okay. Okay. It's a animated Pixar movie. And it's basically um, about these emotions (laughs) that are inside someone's head. And they have like these uh, conversations and they go on this adventure. It sounds really weird to put it that way. But I kind of took that concept and applied it to my own life. And same-sex, like my same-sex attraction or gayness became a character. Um, My anxiety was a character, anger depression, different things. And I wrote this story that ended up being like 50 pages long (laughs) um, of just me. I was a character in the story as well, me interacting with these different parts of myself. Um, And I would bring that into my therapist and we would just, I would just read it out loud to her what I'd written. Um, And that was very healing for me in terms of emotionally being able to process Um, but then I had to figure out all the theological stuff. Uh, and at that point I really needed to do like a theological deep dive. Um, so I did that because my faith was important to me. Um, and I really needed to know what God thought about this and how I could act. Um, and you know, I thought, initially that I knew what the conclusion would be, but I was like, I'm just going to try to be objective about this and um, hope for the best. Uh, And my hope, of course, was that I would find that God would um, bless same-sex relationships, same-sex marriages. Um, That is not what I found. Um, and, but I, I went through all the books and all the articles and podcasts, uh, just searching and searching and searching. It was like, I just got to find one thing that'll make me believe that God's okay with it. But I, so that, real quick, that, that, that is fascinating. I mean, yeah, you were, unless somebody questions the genuineness of what you're saying, it can't be like, well, like you were not wanting to see this. You were really wanting to, like you had lenses on that prevented you mm-hmm. from seeing the full light of God's expansive vision for same-sex relationships or um, 
Have you wondered why you, uh, approaching the scriptures, wanting to see something, did not see it there, whereas somebody else is approaching the scriptures and sees it a different way? I mean, I I guess there's there's no answer to that. It's just I'm I'm fascinated, just almost from a psychological perspective, on why do some people become Mm. convinced of a same-sex sexual ethic, um, a, a more progressive sexual ethic, and some don't. You know, it can't just be yeah. the overwhelming per- persuasiveness of, you know, the, the, the arguments for, you know, same sex marriage. Um, right. I don't know. Right. Yeah, that is a really good and tough question. Um, I could could you like condense that question? Yeah, I don't I'm just. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of uh, maybe responding. Um, well, I guess let me yeah. ask, like, why why weren't you convinced of a same uh, mm-hmm. an affirming view of same sex relations? Yeah, um, I mean, personally, I thought that there was a lot of um, well, first there was no positive. Um, example mm-hmm. of a same sex marital relationship in scripture. Um, of course, the cultural context, there were those arguments um, regarding that, that that such a thing would not exist. But um, I ultimately, it was the metaphor of Christ and the church that really solidified probably the theological piece for me. Um, and that was, there's something about God and how he relates to us that is about unity and difference, not unity and sameness. Mm -hmm. And there can be differences between people of the same gender, Mm -hmm. sex. Um, but God also in scripture takes this very, um, he has a very high view of our bodies too. Um, and some of that is a mystery to me. Uh, like, I don't know why (laughs) it's so important, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, the whole, the one flesh union and the, uh, unity and difference and how that's an essential element of, who God says he is in relation to us was probably the, the clincher for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I really didn't like that because I was like, I'm doing all this for a metaphor. Really? Mm. Like, <laughs> like God, can't you just like change the metaphor a little <laughs> bit? Like is that really a big deal. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm a very, like poetic and romantic person. And so I guess like that argument would not work for everyone, but um, metaphorically, like metaphors are very powerful and important to me because they help me make sense of things. Um, And while that metaphor still doesn't make complete sense, Mm -hmm. I knew it was important. and and if we're talking about the nature of God and his relationship to us, like that is what we are imaging. And mm-hmm. like, I didn't want to live out the, the, like a different movie trailer for the movie that we're going to mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> experience in heaven. Um, so. Yeah, I know that's helpful. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I, I, yeah, I didn't prepare I mean, you for. Uh, make sure no, you no. come with your theological defense. It just I'm, it's it's. Um, I'm always yeah. curious when, because somebody you know the fact that I hold to a traditional sexual ethic, even though I, I, I know my own journey and I know that I held both mm-hmm. views with a very open hand and was willing to go with whichever one I found to be most compelling. And I've done that with several other theological positions and changed my view and and lost yeah. some tribal identities, you know, with <laughs> certain groups. Right. And, and I just don't, I, I don't care. Like I don't, that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't drive me, um, to make sure I right. secure my tribal identity. So, 
Um, so I, I, I know I approached it with a f- as fair of a perspective as I as I mm-hmm. could have, you know, and we all still have biases and stuff. But but somebody still could say, yeah, you're a straight male and married all this stuff. You're mm-hmm. you come from, you know. Um, so my yeah. my um, unbiasedness, you know, whatever, <laughs> um, yeah. isn't really conv- convincing for people. But w- when you come at it and say, mm-hmm. I wanted to see this and I have oh, yeah. grounds to want to see it um, and still didn't, that's that's always um, fascinating. And it, just one little footnote, I guess, the, what's interesting, you know, you brought up the cultural context, like mm-hmm. same-sex marriage wasn't a, a possibility. So that's why it wasn't even on the table. That's actually not totally accurate. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially, well, especially with women. Oftentimes the argument is very male-centered, mm-hmm. which is ironic because people yeah. that are typically otherwise progressive are relying on a very patriarchal male-centered um, right. piece of evidence. They look at all the male same-sex relationships in and around the first century, and, th- and most of them are, not all, but a lot of them have these power differentials. But when it comes to female same-sex relationships in the ancient world, we have examples of all kinds of Mm. consensual even marriage like relationships both from archaeology and literary evidence and stuff so right, um right yeah so i don't i don't think that I, I think understanding the cultural context is important but i think it's often overplayed um as people employ the argument but that's not why we're here Lindsay. i, I, yeah. I want to dive into um okay so you're on the other side of your theological journey and um so what would the next i guess the last two years so that was your first two years 24 to 26 i'm, I'm a numbers guy so i gotta <laughs> yeah. no and that's great you, you fell into this kind of um it sounds like a reluctant yet clear like okay I, I i feel confident this has got what god desires for me and doesn't desire for me so what did the next two years the last two years of your life kind of look like in that part of your journey yeah, well, I was very angry and very, <laughs> <laughs> very bitter and was like, God, why did you even bring me on this journey if this is the result? Like, if I can't, yeah, um, it just felt pointless um, to find this so-called missing puzzle piece of myself. And then it felt like I, I had to just hold it instead of putting it in the puzzle forever for the rest of my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was like, wow, God, you just gave me a bunch of pain to hold (laughs) when I could have just suppressed it. But of course, suppression was not, um, not a permanent solution and would not have been helpful. So, yeah. So I kind of wrestled with, anger with God for a very, very, very long time. Um, even to this day, like I can still have times of bitterness and, um, just because of the lack of, um, emotional congruency with what I believe to be true versus what I feel to be true. Um, and so, yeah, but it, like God's kindness really, pursued me during the really, really dark times where I like turned to, um, just maladaptive ways of coping. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just these things would happen that wouldn't make sense. Um, like I think like there was I'll give one example. There was one time where I was just doing a really poor job at work because I was just focused on on this coming out journey and I was, yeah, going to maladaptive coping stuff and I was just doing a really poor job for a long time. Um, and on a particularly terrible day, um, I got, I found out that I got a raise and I was like, wait, this makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) And, um, I think somehow God reminded me through that, that he's not like a punitive God in that he, he doesn't love us or give us good things based on our actions all the time. Um, and our obedience to him, but that he loves to give good gifts to his children. Um, 
and it sometimes is not based at all on what we do or don't do. Um, and I don't know, just things like that, uh, that really showed God's kindness Mm -hmm. in ways that didn't make sense. Um, so I guess I had the, uh, the sexuality metaphor piece that didn't make sense that I was angry about, but there was also this, um, God's kindness on the other end of the spectrum that also didn't make sense, but was true. So I don't know. There was this, this sense of things cannot make sense, but be true at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And so where, where are you at now? Catch us up to the last couple weeks or month of, uh, Lindsay's life. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Um, yeah. Well, I do want to mention that I did have a few um, experiences with dating guys uh, through the past several years. Um, okay. At first, I I was like, oh, well, I guess I might as well try a dating guy and see what happens. Um, and I didn't expect anything to happen. But to my surprise, I... I was not initially physically attracted to my ex-boyfriend, but then I was, <laughs> mm. which was also a super confusing experience for me because I was like, wait, I thought I was gay. Like, why? How? Mm. Am I forcing this? But I wasn't. Um, and so then I just felt like a fraud, kind of. Mm. So there's that whole piece. Um, and then my second experience with dating uh, was with a um, well, I don't want to get too much into other people's stories, but um, yeah, I don't want you yeah. to blow confidentiality if you're trying to protect yeah, yeah. somebody. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. No. Yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, uh, yeah let's not go there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, so that, I guess that's a good segue into what I really want to talk to you about. Uh, not, not, <laughs> that's not so bad. I don't care about your story. I just, um, but your story is so intertwined with this topic of female sexuality, the complexity of female sexuality, the uniqueness, uh, and to, to quote, um, well, a phrase that psychologists often you use the, the fluidity of female right. sexuality. I've been, you know, um, you know, it's, and it's always weird as a straight guy, even having an interest in f- female sexuality and the flexibility mm-hmm. of it compared to typical male sexuality. You know that. You know, I'll, I'll never forget. I was taking my kids to um, some sporting. I, I think they were rock climbing or something, and I was sitting there, um, you know, reading a book, and I was reading um, lo- um, "Sexual Fluidity: Understanding a Woman's <laughs> Love and Desire" by Lisa Diamond. And it has nice. this kind of picture of this woman on the front, a little bit like yep. sensual. And I'm reading this yep. book and I'm getting I'm this. Now, <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> it is such a profound book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm reading this and getting strange looks, you know. And I'm like, no, really, I'm yeah. not that guy. I'm another, another <laughs> that guy, you know, who you wouldn't understand anyway. But um, Right, another that guy. Uh, I was blown away. For those who aren't familiar with this book, um, Lisa Diamond is a lesbian uh, s- psychologist who specializes specializes in uh, female sexual orientation, and this study is a result of a ten year um, like following of a hundred women. I think all of them at, at the beginning identified it as non-straight. Okay, some were like, I mean, all you know, whatever. Just, they weren't straight. And all throughout those 10 years, to her dismay almost, like, (laughs) I think, don't quote me on this, but it was something like only 3% of them had the same identity because she'd check in every two years and say, all right. And, and like, how are they identified at the beginning? Only like 3% had the same identity 10 years later. Mm -hmm. Like, and a lot of them that had non-straight kind of attractions, whether it was bisexual or or same-sex, um, those flexed and were fluid. And it's it, exactly what you said, to your surprise. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying mm-hmm. to do this. It's just something happened. Like, I met a guy who wasn't a jerk or just a different kind of guy or whatever. <laughs> like, I didn't want to like it. All of a sudden, I felt kind of 
attracted maybe on an emotional level to a guy and then maybe that led to more physical or sexual maybe not but there was just there was shifts and changes did you okay so all that to say for kind of set it up for the audience i mean yeah, yeah. so that yeah. and, and then i find out that that's fairly um like her work's very widely accepted and there's she's not the only one saying mm-hmm. this when you read that book did that re- does that resonate with you um because I, I just yeah, for me it's so, like i'm looking at it from a distance i want to know like how did you right, react right so i'm actually just now i should have read this a long time ago but i'm just now reading it oh okay um <laughs> yeah so <laughs> but i i did come across like this particular paragraph that i was like huh this yeah this sounds like me <laughs> <laughs> um where it says that for women with non-exclusive attractions, fixed identities may never completely succeed in representing the complicated situation-specific and sometimes relationship-specific nature of their sexual self-concepts. Perhaps for these women, adopting a flexible, changeable identity is the most mature, adaptive way of understanding their sexuality. Um, in such cases, even a bisexual identity may not capture the complexity of their desires. And I was like, huh, yeah that makes a lot of sense to me um, mm. and is uncomfortable because I'm like, it should be that my sexual orientation should be fixed. And mm. I don't know, there's something in me that is like, um, otherwise I'm a fraud or otherwise mm. I am just kidding myself. Uh, and so that's the feeling that arises within me, but, but in actuality, that is more what it what it's like. What I just read. Okay. Um, well, that that fraud, that feeling of a fraud, that only it, it, just again, kind of thinking out loud here, but that is only the case if you come at this with a prior assumption, kind of handed to us from culture, that mm-hmm. you are either gay or straight. And if you're gay, that's just right. this monolithic kind of thing. And if you're straight, that's mm-hmm. and yeah, there's some that are bisexual that are both, but even that, I think understanding bisexuality doesn't appreciate the, even the flexibility or fluidity there. Right, um, right. And so I could imagine, and, and then there is this push to have an identity. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Which sexual category do you fit into? You must fit into one, right. find it, discover yeah. who you are. And I think that even whole- Even in order. Yeah. Even in order to belong. Yeah. Right, an identity is a is a key and entry. It's a key to and you know open the door mm-hmm. to belong to a certain community. Um, and that's just I just in my growing understanding, sexuality is 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 just way more complicated. Yeah. And, and I, I hesitate saying flexible, but I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. I mean, then I yeah. think we appreciate. Yeah. And and I know I every and I half the audience right now is in the back of their mind. They're thinking, <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Is conversion therapy, are you guys, is that where you guys are going? Is this a a resurrection of ex-gay? And she addresses this and she says the massive difference is everything I'm talking about, it happens unintentionally through environmental shifts and changes in relationships. This is not you even trying to change your sexuality or somebody else even more so trying to change it. Right. Um, It's it's just the natural flow and rhythm and, and complexity of life. Is that how you understand the difference maybe there? Cause oh, yeah. I don't, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like if I was trying to force myself or if someone else tried to force me, that would have zero effect. Mm. I am positive on my sexual orientation. Um, because yeah, uh, even with the example of my ex, just, <laughs> it was so shocking to me, um, mm. that, I developed attraction. Yeah, it was just, it was very much an organic thing. Hmm. Why, why is it that, um, well, and let, me, let me say, it seems like most women I meet, again, this is anecdotally, I'm sure there's studies done on this, but I would say most, in my, in my experience, the, more than 50% of w- women I meet that are same-sex attracted on some level have had some kind of like bad experience with men, bad, you know, Maybe it's been an abusive situation. Maybe it's just been a, a jerk of men in their life. Maybe they, I don't know. Like I, that, that's been my, has that been your majority? Like in your, in your talk to other women, I guess. And then I would love to hear your thoughts on mm-hmm. that. If you feel like you've had a, a, a negative view of men in, in your past that right. might have played some, I don't want to say played some role. I'm not even going to make that connection yet. I just, right. it's, in, it's an interesting observation. Um, yeah, um, I would I would say it's kind of mixed. Um, I know a lot of 
gay women, bisexual women, queer women who have had really bad experiences with men, mm-hmm. uh, some very traumatic, uh, others just a bunch of negative interactions. Um, yeah. But then I know some others who have not necessarily had that. Um, and have had good experiences with men in their life and have developed really solid friendships. Um, and so I, I, I wouldn't see that as like a rule, but maybe as prop like a more often than not. Yeah. Maybe. And I want to be um, so careful, and, and just to be su- – yeah. hopefully this is clear. I'm not suggesting that every person who's same-sex attracted, it's connected right. to some environmental thing. I mean I, I feel like I've said that so many times in writing in public that I shouldn't say it again. But yeah. if somebody's listening for the first time, I am not right. at all yes. saying that because I know a lot of straight people that have had really um, mm-hmm. negative oh, yeah. <laughs> interactions with the opposite sex and they're still straight. So you can't draw yeah. a, a correlation. Um, I, I just wonder in some – cases well mm-hmm. certainly it's true in some you have to say in some cases right. there has been um you know when, when somebody meets somebody of the opposite sex that is very different and embodies more of a christ-like kind of posture mm-hmm. that that would be that it would be more likely for them to cultivate a kind of attraction to that person than than not um if they've had right. negative experiences but um yeah and for me personally i did not necessarily have tons of negative experiences with guys um, before dating guys. I would say after dating guys, (laughs) 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 I did. So I'm kind of of working through now, I'm working through this weird like new bitterness I have towards guys. Um, Yeah, it's it's strange, but... um, But yeah, so it definitely wasn't the case for me that I was influenced by that initially. I might be influenced a little bit by it now, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Um, But yeah. Let's, I want to talk about bisexuality now. And here's, here's, here's a question I've been wanting to ask somebody. And it's (laughs) the main, one of the main reasons why I want to have you on because I I read your stuff. I think you you have such a helpful and healthy and thoughtful perspective on this. Um, my question is this, why does it seem, and I think it's even been justified by the statistics now, why does it, why is it that there has been a, 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 I would say a fairly strong increase among teenage females identifying as not lesbian, not mm-hmm. straight, but bisexual, or some might even say pansexual. I don't know if people who identify as pan would be able to identify the difference necessarily, mm-hmm. um, because that, that deals with like theological anthropology and a view of human nature that most teenagers haven't, you know, read Foucault and, you know, (laughs) um, um, uh, first of all, am I right to say, man, it seems like there's a lot compared to like five, 10 years ago, a lot more teenage females identify as bi or pan than ever Mm -hmm. before. And why is that? Um, yeah, yeah. I think that is true. Um, in my experience, I didn't know anyone who was <laughs> bi or like in high school. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was just a rare thing to hear about anyone being any woman being bi. Um, but now, like I work, so I work with an organization, Equip, mm-hmm. and we do hear quite often parents. Um, bring up that their uh, daughters are experiencing um, and identifying as bisexual. And yeah, that's just been a really common experience lately. And so um, why that is, I think one reason is that it's just becoming more acceptable and more even admirable to um be open about your sexuality, uh, and to be who you are, be, um, yeah, to not hide that. And, um, I think 
yeah, it's just less scary to mm-hmm. come out as bi. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another reason does have to do with the sexual fluidity piece um, that, yeah, that um, it's just female sexuality is so complicated, so complex and so um, influenced by so many different factors and just so hard to pin down that it can be helpful to be able to find a term that can kind of try to encompass all of those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can, can you unpack the complexity? Like when you say it's complex, um, what, what, yeah. help us understand that. So I, I don't want to make blanket statements, but um, I, in, in general, what I see anyway, is that often, um, like if we compare uh, male sexuality and female sexuality, for instance, like male sexuality is typically, I would say, driven primarily by physical attraction. Um, I did a lot of research for one of my posts on this. Um, And yeah, for women, uh, determining sexual orientation feels very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally it's much more nuanced and more holistic even initially. So like an initial attraction is likely not to be just a physical one, but also emotional or social or it's just, there's more factors, um, in play. And so in that sense, it is more complicated. Um, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. and then there's a sense of men have this strong, uh, what is called like a category specific sexual arousal pattern, um, which is very clear to that, that they're aroused by either one, one sex or the other sex. And it's, there's just a clear differential. Um, but yeah, there's, there's been studies that show that even most straight women are equally sexually aroused by both men and women. So it's just like, there's a lot of, a lot of science even behind, uh, the, the fluidity piece and the arousal and attraction. Um, that is super complicated. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if that answers your question. And I, It's so funny. I, I love that like you're talking about male sexuality. I'm talking about female sexuality. <laughs> We're just, I know. Is this yeah. the sound right? This is what I'm reading in the studies, you know, but that's, yeah. I, no, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's great. No, I think you, when you describe male sexuality, again, I liked that you said typically, uh, when yeah, we yeah. say male sexuality, female sexuality, we're talking about generalities, but it does seem to be a yeah. pretty I don't know the percentages, but when we say generally speaking, men are this way, that might be, you know, 80, 90% yeah. or something. Don't quote me on the percentages, but it's, right. it's, it's a lot when women, same thing when it comes to sexuality with other things, I think there's right. less extreme kind of, uh, um, commonalities, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so when I, when I read the studies and, you know, I'm married to my wife, I have three teenage daughters. I'm, I yeah. have a ministry that I interact with people on this a lot. So I, I, yeah, this this is my full time job to have these kind of to try to understand. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, when when I try to understand female sexuality, the the, the lines between romantic, sexual, mm-hmm. emotional, intimate um, attraction, yeah, or even admiration or even jealousy, like those lines are really fuzzy. So mm-hmm. if I if I look at a dude 
with his shirt off and he's super chiseled. He's just in shape. Good looking dude. You know, just mm-hmm. jawline. He's a couple tats, you know, like I'm like, <laughs> dude, that dude is ripped, you know, but that it's, it's a, it's a, there's a clear line dividing between mm-hmm. kind of admiration, maybe even some jealousy <laughs> mm-hmm. and, oh, dude, I find this guy sexually attractive to me. From what I've heard, those lines with women are a little blurry. You know, every woman is going to, most women are going to be able to very much admire the Mm -hmm. physical beauty or even personality of of another woman. And being able to separate that admiration, maybe jealousy, maybe even like, man, what would it be like to have boobs like that? Or like, man, her legs Mm -hmm. are, look at her butt, you know? And like the line between what, what I would do maybe to another man in admiration of what a woman recognizes, I think is a little fuzzier or like, or even emotional. And again, I, 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 I want to stop in just 30 seconds. Cause I, I don't want to speak beyond, <laughs> I don't want to get over my skis here and not like, um, or, or even if, if you have like a deep, intimate, emotional bonding with another woman, maybe you're hugging, you're holding hands. Maybe it's a, so the other person's sharing a real hard time. They're crying or, and, and then you just feel this deep sense of like, man, this is, deeply intimate and I'm bonding with this other person the line between that and and a sexual desire it can be a lot blurry too is that am I describing that in a way that that maybe resonates um or my (laughs) yeah um the especially that your second point um with the emotional and uh romantic sexual attraction being blurred and confusing Mm -hmm. Um, the, the first part with the idea of, um, the lines being blurred between like being envious or jealous of Mm -hmm. a person's appearance versus, um, being attracted to them, like wanting to be with them. I, I think that's less less my experience um okay but i have definitely heard from other people that they do get confused in regards to that sometimes um like am i really attracted like want to be with this person Mm -hmm. physically sexually or am i just i want to be them um Mm. yeah like yeah so i've definitely heard that before um it has not been my experience, um, but but the second one definitely resonates with me. The emotional, the line between having emotional intimacy versus a sexual desire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think there's there's a natural, like our culture is more accepting of women being affectionate with each other in really public ways and in deeper ways than it is culturally acceptable for men, which I think is ridiculous, but, um, (laughs) yeah, but, uh, I think, um, I don't know. I want to be careful about this conversation too, because the thing I would never want any parent to do is to forbid like their daughters to, have friendships like deep friendships with other girls. Um, because I think that's often a tendency when, when they hear like, Oh no, the lines can be blurred. Um, Mm -hmm. so much that this could happen. There's a tendency for parents to be like, Oh no, we got to step back and we got to monitor our daughters, make sure they're not getting into too much, uh, physical contact. (laughs) I don't know. How do you There's balance like, that though? Cause that, that yeah. I a hundred percent agree. That would be a terrible, like to start cutting off friendships or whatever. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you do have a kid that is, I don't know, in a very maybe progressive culture at school and where, you know, right. 20% of the girls might be, you know, a bisexual, yeah. pansexual or exploring or whatever. And, and your daughter might, is in that environment and, and mm-hmm. they're going to be influenced by that. And they have a, a sleepover with a bunch of girls and it's like, you know, right. 20 years ago yeah. you were like, Oh cool. You know? And now it's like, well, <laughs> I should be maybe as cautious mm-hmm. 
about yeah. a sleepover with a bunch of girls, I would my daughter going to a sleepover with a bunch of guys. Maybe, maybe not as much, but like, um, yeah, don't, I mean, anything can kind of happen. And again, I don't want to, like, I, I'm a parent, so I get the yeah. balance, you know, but like, I don't yeah, want to, yeah, yeah. you overly guard your kids. That's destructive. Mm-hmm. You throw them out into the sea of <laughs> culture in 2021. And that's also can be irresponsible. Yeah. So I um, don't know how you parents do it. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just the balance is so tricky, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't. Yeah, we we we're not doing it. We're literally just shooting from the hip. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. us early on, we made a policy as parents, no sleepovers period. It's just not mm-hmm. um we're 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 weirdly um like conservative in in some ways and and mm-hmm. very progressive in some ways with our parenting. So like Mm-hmm. Like two of my four kids have tattoos and they're under 18. Okay. Um, we watch crazy movies. You know, my oldest daughter has gauges and, and you know, yeah. um, and we home, but we homeschool our kids <laughs> and my mm-hmm. kids aren't allowed to have social media. My teenage da- daughters don't have any social media. So it's like we have these weird kind of blend yeah. of like puritanical stuff, but then we'll be blaring ACDC, you know, and dancing and stuff. So I, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I, I want to and, and we don't have sleepovers and, and we are. Mm-hmm we are very involved in, in, in friendships. Um, we want to cultivate healthy friendships with our kids. And if it's not, if it's an unhealthy friendship, which let's just be honest, the majority of teenagers in this day and age are not pushing each other towards Jesus, you know? And so (laughs) we hang out with a lot of adults too. Like our kids get along really well with 20 something year olds or even 50 year olds. Sometimes they don't resonate Mm -hmm. with 15 or 16 year olds. Um, because they're not on social media. So when they're hanging out and the other right. person just staring at their phone, they're like, cool, um, can I go? You know, like, you know, obviously I don't need to be here. <laughs> such different interests, such, such a different yeah. culture that even they're growing up in, really, it sounds like. It's weird. It's, it's yeah, to some I, extent. It's, it's um, parenting in this Gen Z, parenting is, 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 is a challenge. Yeah. And, anyway, oh, yeah. um. How, how would you speak to a parent right now? I, I imagine there's several dozen, maybe even hundreds of parents listening who might have a teenager who did come out as uh, bisexual, pansexual, probably coupled with maybe non-binary or gender queer. Because mm-hmm. um, I know the gender ca- with teenagers, the gender and sexual categories are often blurred. Um, very few lesbians these days. There's a lot of blur. There's a lot of blur. A lot of blur. I I don't, probably very few have a 15 year old that came out as a lesbian. That's kind of an old woman Mm. thing in this day and Mm -hmm. age, it seems like. How would you counsel the parent whose kid recently came out as bisexual, pansexual? Yeah. Um, so I think first of all, again, I don't want to make blanket statements, but Um, because each person is an individual who has different experiences, will respond in different ways. Um, First, though, I think even before you find out that uh, your child um, is identifying as bisexual, before all of that happens, it's so much better to be proactive than reactive. And so just teaching from an early age, like, uh, about sexuality and in ways that are uh, full of grace and truth equally, which of course is a balance that is hard for everyone. Um, but not shying away from those conversations um, in age appropriate ways, I think is just super helpful. Um, and I don't see it often. So it's like, I imagine it would be super helpful, but I don't really, I haven't really seen it. Um, but sadly, but, um, yeah, just fostering a, a love and a, a love for God and a desire, um, to follow him even when Mm -hmm. it's really hard, uh, and to even be open about some of your own things that you have had to sacrifice and how hard it is and like just fostering more of a open communication around, around those topics from an early age. But once, um, 
if if you feel like that hasn't happened, um, I think it gets a lot harder, but it's not like impossible to um, communicate with your child about these things. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can see that it, like someone, a parent may be tempted to help their daughter, like come back to the conclusion that they're straight, um, that they're just in a phase, that they're just confused. Um, so that's not a like, good approach to take, you're saying? Yeah. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> even if, yeah. can I just add that this is theology in a raw, so I do stuff that's kind of uncut yeah. and I should probably maybe regret it later, but like, let me just say it. Even if they are confused and even if they will be married with mm -hmm. two kids in 10 years, like, yeah, don't, don't, re don't, don't assume that and don't react yeah. according to that possibility. And think, yeah. And think about like, what are you communicating to your daughter by, framing it in that way like is is it the hope of heterosexual marriage like you're putting a lot of hope in heterosexual marriage at that point um so good yeah and yeah what if what if your daughter actually is gay or bisexual like maybe actually think about that <laughs> and and how doubting and pushing away those sexual identity questions could end up like destroying trust in the relationship so um yeah so definitely not the answer is not um, pushing your child towards straightness or saying straightness, <laughs> I guess, um, or saying it's just a phase because um, it it feels invalidating for sure. Yeah, totally. Have you have you seen parents? I know you don't you don't obviously don't name names or anything, but have you seen parents do that approach <laughs> and it, it typically results very negatively? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, it it backfires too and. Yeah. They've had to deal with the fallout of that. Um, and it's very hard once you've broken trust to rebuild it. It's not impossible, but it's just, yeah, to break it in the first place if you can. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then I think sometimes pastors or parents can, like, even maybe doubt the confusion that they're that girls are experiencing like like well don't you know if you're attracted to guys exclusively or girls exclusively like shouldn't it be clear <laughs> like there's there's a there's a lack of understanding again about what female sexuality is like and how it is confusing. Um, and it's okay if your daughter is express is expressing confusion. It's okay if they're not expressing confusion and they think they know mm -hmm. and they might know that they are bisexual, mm -hmm. lesbian, um, I guess not usually lesbian in this, in this age, but, um, but yeah, that confusion is a normal experience. Right. Um, do, do you think it would be helpful to let's just, I'm just going to create an imaginary scenario that I know for some of my audience yeah. is not too imaginary, but your 15 year old <laughs> daughter comes out as comes home and says, mom, dad, I'm bisexual. Um, mm -hmm. and then the parent receives him with love and cares. Thanks for telling me. I know it's, you know, it's a big part of you. Thank you for entrusting me mm -hmm. with, with, uh, your your identity and and uh, love you, always be here for yeah. you. Want to help you navigate what this looks like in your life, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And then the parent, I would think, should maybe go and do some educate themselves, maybe on yeah. if female sexuality, understand. And then, mm -hmm. do you think it would be good for the parent to come back and maybe even help their kid understand? Let's again, teenage female understand mm. the maybe complexity of female sexuality and help them maybe even understand the categories of romantic kind of the stuff we talked about, you know, like, yeah, yeah some of these categories can be I blurry think, and it's natural for you to experience these emotions or, uh, yeah. Do you think a parent should do that? Yeah. I think it's dependent probably on the relationship prior to, um, that coming out experience. If the relationship has been one of openness and, 
um, vulnerability, then yeah, uh, I think it would be great to like ask your child, hey, I've been I've been researching this stuff about um, just female sexuality and wanted to see what you thought about it. Do you wanna hmm. do you wanna talk about it sometime? Um, I think that would be yeah. a non-threatening way to approach the topic. And if they say no, then okay, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine to, to give them that option of saying no. Um, but then if there is a history of not really being open yeah. or vulnerable with these things, that probably closes the door to um, approaching with that in that way. Mm. Or even I would Which, I would say I've seen this back well, especially with teenagers. Sometimes kids are really turned off by parents that are too teachy. Uh, sure, yeah, and, and they might yeah. even receive the same. This <laughs> we've seen this happen. We might even receive the same thing for the, they they might receive the same exact thing from just somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. who might say that yeah. we we've had this. You know, we're like our kid will come home and like tell us something and like, well, you know, we've been telling you that for years. And, you know, <laughs> um, yes. And sometimes it's good. That's a good point too. Like sometimes some of the more difficult and vulnerable teachings can't come from as much as it feels like it should, it can't come from the parent. Yeah. Um, because, uh, Teenagers just have a tendency not to be receptive yeah. to parents, it seems like, in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was my experience. Uh, I, like, if my, if my parents would have come to me and been, like, been, stu- been studying about female sexuality, I mean, in my context, I, I mean, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but if they did, I would have been, like, um, let's not. <laughs> Can we not have that discussion? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I think, I mean, I know in my own context, we have, we have, and, and part of it, I, I get, you know, the advantage of this is what I do full time. I've been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. Our kids are kind of involved. They've heard me give talks and stuff. So yeah. for us having open conversations about sex and sexuality yeah. has been a little easier until now. It's just the rhythm of our natural conversation. So if they did have, questions or thoughts it would be so natural for them to talk about it but man i i and i'll be the first one to admit if this wasn't my full-time gig or whatever mm-hmm. those are hard conversations it's hard, it's so embarrassing oh, yeah. for a parent and the kid gets awkward and you get awkward and mm-hmm. th- it's not easy at all you know but but if yeah. if that has been kind of more of a rhythm prior i love what you mm-hmm. said about rather than just reacting but like having laid the groundwork for right. these kind of conversations um yeah, if the groundwork is late, it's but, a lot easier. Yeah, but unfortunately, a lot of the parents that I hear uh, are expressing these concerns have not laid the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is more of a reactive yeah. response. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think just finding ways that would be helpful in that space yeah. is probably good too. One more last question, and then we'll let you go. Um, do, yeah. do you know, because like uh, – uh, kind of along the same lines, though. Like, are, do you know any resources, maybe YouTube videos or something, where a t- where a parent could go to to send their kid, who might mm-hmm. be that mitigating voice that, that helps them navigate their own sexuality in lieu of maybe um, a parental conversation that might not be mm-hmm. the kid's not ready for. Like, who is there something a parent yeah. can just go to to say, all right, well, then watch this or read this or right. besides your blogs. I mean, your blogs are amazing, but oh. sometimes kids don't read blogs. But um. uh, Yeah. And the blogs are really a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be able to. I feel like it's more helpful for parents than like a 15 year old. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely directed towards parents and pastors more. But, oh, man, I wish that there was a resource I could point to. Um I, I mean, I think the best thing is to find just an older, maybe an older uh, gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian who has been through some of this stuff mm-hmm. and and has walked through these this part of the journey um, and to just 
bring up to your child that, um, hey, I know this friend, it, like, I know it's super awkward to talk to me about this stuff, but if you ever do want to talk about um, yeah. sexuality to you, um, someone I know, such and such person, the, the hard part is sometimes parents don't know yeah. uh, um, any gay Christians in their life, even though they probably... They probably do. They just don't know. <laughs> they don't know it. But yet. they know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that would have been really helpful for me. Um, just I'm imagining like a Christian gay side B woman mm-hmm. um, older than me mm-hmm. who I could just talk to and um, who who I knew like shared some of my lived experience um, could be really helpful. So yeah, the problem, the difficulty is finding those people, probably. All the more, to come full circle, all the more reason why I think churches um, mm-hmm. should create contexts where the people who are in their congregation, uh, yeah. who have this lived experience, who are walking in faithfulness, uh, have mm. yet another amazing ministry opportunity to, to be yeah. those places where the pastor can tell point parents saying, Hey, you got to talk to this person or this person. They would love to talk to your kid and help mm-hmm. you navigate this relationship. Cause that lived experience, yeah. especially with kids carries so much weight and, and rightly mm-hmm. so. Right. I mean, yeah. Who, who wants to talk to their straight parents, you know, about their bisexuality? <laughs> right. Why not talk to a woman it's who's, like, who's been you're living not going to understand you know? this at all. Why am I dragging? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much for being on uh, Theology in a Raw. This is, I, I, honestly, I've been waiting a year to have this conversation with you. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, I encourage people to go check out Equip Ministries. We, I, we just had Peter Falk on the show, uh, the president yeah, of your organization. Awesome. Um, but yeah, your blog series, it's called Kiss the Girls, right? Uh, on the Equip website? Or? <laughs> that, that is um, one of the blog titles. Oh, one yeah, of them, okay. But it's, uh, uh, the series is just by women for women. By women for women. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much.